Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Marianne Dersh. All right, so welcome, Julia Campbell. And we're going to talk about how to attract new donors using social media. That's our first topic today. We're going to go through so many topics, different ways of how to attract donors. And this is the first one. I'm going to give you, I love this, your bio. So recently named one of the most 25 influential nonprofit thought leaders. Nice. And one of the seven nonprofit thought leaders to follow on Twitter during the coronavirus crisis. And she is on a mission to make the digital world a better place. And girl, well, you are needed in that space. The author of two books, a mom of two kids and a returned Peace Corps volunteer. Where did you serve in the Peace Corps? I was in Senegal in West Africa. How was that? Uh, (laughs) It was amazing. I mean, it was hard and heartbreaking and inspiring and enlightening and sometimes all things in one day, but it was, yeah, it was really, I highly recommend it. I know the Peace Corps is not happening right now. Unfortunately, they pulled out all the volunteers, but if anyone's interested in talking to me more about it, I'm I'm happy to talk and I'm happy to talk to your college kids, anybody you want. I've had people have their sons and daughters call me (laughs) and I'm sure it's very different now than when I was in the Peace Corps, but yeah, but it's 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 not easy to get that job. I mean, you have to go through a year long vetting process, at least when I did it and a lot of, you know, mental health checks, a lot of physical checks. I mean, really your ducks have to be in a row to go. So yeah, it was, is pretty amazing. Yeah. And your passion is to get organizations and change makers to stop spinning their wheels and start getting real results using digital tools. And that is so important because I feel like sometimes people use social media and they either don't understand what the results they're getting. They can't tie their action to results or they're just not getting them. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I want to say thank you, my forum support here. Please put your questions in the Q&A. I have that up here. And Clarissa, my, my support with me today, who is helping me do all of this, She'll be monitoring the Q&A as we go through it. I will too. So put your questions in there. Don't put them in the chat. That way we can, we'll make sure we see them. So she's going to, we're going to have a conversation. She's going to share some, drop some knowledge on you. And then we'll do some questions at the end. Okay. And can you put your Twitter handle in the, in the, in the Q&A for me? You want me to put it in the Q&A or in the chat? Well, there's a question in there. Um, Oh. Okay. Uh, someone just answered the question. What's Julia's Twitter handle? It is Julia C Social. So if you go to twitter.com, Clarissa, yeah, please tag it. me. Yay. Thank you. Okay. So, first question that I'm going to ask is I'm just going to start with this one. What's something sure. that you're incredibly proud of, but you rarely have a chance to brag about it? Oh, my God. Well, I would say the Peace Corps, but I just bragged about it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's not that rare. <laughs> um, you know, I that's a really good question. I think the fact that I survived corona, the coronavirus crisis fully intact with 
my sanity, my family, my marriage. <laughs> and we, you know, the fact that we actually, we, I think that we came out of it even stronger as a family unit. So I don't know if that's necessarily something a specific achievement to brag about, but I'm, I'm really proud of the work that I did this past year. And along with homeschooling and remote schooling and, you know, all, all the things that go along with that. And I know you dealt with that a lot, Marianne. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. So I have some questions about the questions. So participants cannot see or read the questions. How does this work? So in the Q&A under your Zoom screen, you can pull that up and you can see all the questions. I'll ask Julia the question. And if she answers it live, I'll click the answer live button. Is that what I'm not sure what other people can see? Clarissa, you want to help me here? I just read them out. That's what yeah. I always do on Zoom. Yeah. But yeah, it sometimes can be hard. I just want to make sure I'm not telling lies. Okay, so let's get in. Let's get into the let's get into the thing. Can you address those questions? The question in the chat, people can see and read, right? The Q and I. Yeah. Uh, well, first I want to say hi to Janine, who gave me a really nice shout out in the comments. Thank you. That means a lot, you know. And thank you. This means a lot. So, uh, Darcy Phillips asked, my biggest question is how to get more people to use other platforms besides Facebook for donations. Okay. okay. All right. Well, let's, so, let's hold that for a second. Yeah. We're going to hold just, it. Let's just talk the bigger picture and then bigger let's picture. get down to that. So how can, how can nonprofits build an audience on social media? Okay. So the very first thing that I teach and write about in my blog, my books, I say, you have to get people to know you and like you and trust you before they will donate to you. So if you come to me and say, I want to run a Facebook ad campaign completely out of nowhere and get a bunch of new monthly donors and um, just bring in somehow net all of these fish using social media right off the bat, it's probably not going to be the best use of your time and your resources and your money. So you do have to spend a lot of time getting people to know, like, and trust you. And social media is really good for the top of funnel. Okay. So we talk about top of funnel. You can do fundraising. You can do Facebook ads. You can do email list building. You can do all of those things. But for a small nonprofit, a bootstrap nonprofit doesn't have a lot of time can't be doing a Facebook live every week, can't be, you know, spending a ton of time creating fancy graphics. The best thing you can do is simplify your message and try your very best to grab attention and pique curiosity. That's where I really think nonprofits get stuck, especially on social media, is that they, they don't make me curious. They post something and it's just either a link to something else with no context or it's a photo that's not very interesting, or it's a promotion, or it's an event, or even if it's a flyer, and it doesn't make me curious. So the nonprofits that you're, you are seeing that are having so much success are making me curious. They're grabbing my attention. They're asking a question. They're challenging me. Maybe they're inspiring me. They're getting me to think in a little bit of a new way. The other thing that I wanted to point out is I love what you said, Marianne, about you don't have to convince your donors to care. If you are spending all your time on social media trying to convince random strangers to care about your cause, that is a complete waste of your time. 
not everyone is going to care about your cause. So you do want to spend some time figuring out who your audience is, what they care about, who you want to attract, what they care about, and how you can create a message that's going to resonate and pique their curiosity and pique their interest. And the example that I give, the framework that I give, it's not my framework, it's Simon Sinek's framework, start with why. So that's another TED Talk. Clark, maybe you could help me be my assistant and put the link (laughs) in the chat. Anyway, it's one of the most famous TEDx talks, Simon Sinek, start with why I have the book. I'm another, he's amazing. So he said, and this is how you should approach your communications, digital or otherwise. Start with the why. The why is the reason you exist, the problem you're solving, the outcomes that you're creating, like your vision for the world. Mm-hmm. If people are not on board with the why, they will not be on board with the how, which are your strategies, and the what, which are your programs and services. So we talk so much about our programs and services and the nuts and bolts and how many people we serve and how many lunches we did. And the, But if I don't care about homelessness in the first place, if you can't convince me that domestic violence is a problem or that the arts are important, I'm not going to care about the how and the what. So we need to spend a lot of our time, especially on social media, talking about the why and bringing people in. And then what I teach in my courses is, you know, it's the why and then when people get to know you a little bit better, when they like you, when they donate, when they follow you on email, then you can start talking a little bit more about the how and the what. But we start with the what. We always start with the exactly what we do, how many people we serve, but people, you need to make sure that people are on board with your vision and the way you're changing the world, the way you're transforming lives, whether it's the arts or it's literacy or it's poverty eradication or it's anti-racism, if people are not on board with the why, they're not going to be on board with everything else that you do. So focus a lot of your social media, simplify it. This is where people get tripped up. And I know you know this, Marianne. Simplify your message, not dumb it down, but simplify it. I think we get, we just are getting two in our heads and we're overcomplicating it. Yeah. And that's what I say, you know, connecting with like-minded people. So your social media is really calling forward the people that, you know, agree, like have the same why as you. And I, and when I, when I present and I will do it today and I tell my story, I tell my story, like how I grew up because how I grew up has everything to do with why I give to who I give to. Right. So like I was the Uh, you know, I was the accident. I was the whoops baby and my family. And I always felt really left out. And, you know, even, and, and so having that narrative in my brain, like I'm a rescuer, right? Like I, my kids are adopted out of foster care. I have foster puppies. I give to organizations that whoever, you know, if you're left out or left behind, I want to donate to you. Not that I don't care about other causes or I don't see them as worthy. They're just not connecting to me. Like my why it's like, it's like the Venn diagram of whys, right? Like you have like overlapping. Mm -hmm. And so releasing that. And isn't it great? Everyone who's on and right now, like just, you can just take a deep breath. You don't have to make people care, right? Your job is just connect with people who share your why. So that's what you're saying, right? And that's the mindset shift that effective nonprofit fundraisers need to make. And I've seen this shift in my clients. And until you make that shift, you're still going to wonder, what should I post? How, you know, what should I email? What should I put on my website? 
But until you focus on the why and your audience and what they're interested in and why they care, I mean, we really, we are so focused on pushing our own agenda and our programs and our promotions. And we probably have 27 different people telling us what to post and how to use the channels. But social media is such a different animal than newspaper promotions or a billboard or even just an ad on TV. You know, we have to get out of this mindset that it's a one-way street. It's a broadcast mechanism because it's not. And people know when they're being broadcasted to and not spoken to or trying to be engaged in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So the big thing about social media, and I find, you know, when, when I'm working with clients is, you know, how do you get people, you know, from followers and fans into donors? And it feels Mm -hmm. like a big, uh, you know, like a big leap. And also I, I, you know, and and board members and things, that's what they want to know. They like, well, one of the things you said earlier was, you know, you're nurturing people, right? This takes time. And sometimes I feel like, especially I've seen this in boardrooms a lot. People are, they, they say, well, we're not getting results right away. Let's try something else. Right. So the shifting constantly, yeah, the constant shifting, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, let's try this now. Let's try this. So like, let's say we're going to we stay with it and we're building our following. So how do we turn that following into donors? The number one thing we need to do is understand that each channel is incredibly different and we can't treat all channels the same and we have to create unique content for each channel. That doesn't mean we can't repurpose. So if you have a great story, like your, your founder story, Marianne, you can tell that, but the way you tell it on TikTok is going to be very different from the way you tell it on LinkedIn, from the way you tell it on Facebook, from the way you tell it on Twitter. So we have to stop thinking we can just kind of automate and push out all of these links and all of this marketing. We have to understand the strengths and the weaknesses of each channel. And we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to understand that the social media channels, they do not work for us. In fact, they don't have our best interests at heart. I say this all the time. Like I am a social media marketing consultant, written books on it. They do not have our best interests at heart. They don't even have our donors' best interests at heart, right? So they've got their, their shareholders' best interests. They don't owe us anything. We have to really work hard to entice people to come over and make a bigger, like create a deeper relationship with us. So I see that all the time. And the way the, the phrasing of the question, you know, how do we get people, how do we get our fans and followers to be on our email list? How do we get our fans and followers to donate? So there's specific tactics you can use to make it more enticing, but it's principles of fundraising still apply. You have to have a compelling case for support. So you can't just post on Facebook, donate, and people are going to donate. You have to still have that compelling case for support. And you have to give me a reason to want to donate or sign up for your email list. Now, I always teach that 80% of what you share on social media should be informative, educational, entertaining, connecting, fun, you know, very much value add to someone's life. And then 20% can be asking them for something back. So saying, you know, we're going to share Molly's transformative journey from, you know, from um, homelessness to being a CEO of a multi-million dollar company or something like that. Read her story in our next email newsletter. Don't miss it. Sign up here. So what happens is nonprofits post the link to their email newsletter and they say, sign up. Nobody wants to sign up for another email newsletter, 
right? But people might want to sign up to see Molly's story of transformation. They might want to sign up to see a behind the scenes video of how you're creating your latest program or you're building a playground. So we have to constantly be thinking, okay, if we're asking someone to do something, what's in it for them? So I think that you absolutely can have once a week, maybe a couple times, three times a month, targeted, enticing, compelling posts that ask people to sign up for your email list. That's the first thing that I would do because that's the least jump. That's like the smallest jump. Maybe they so, do want to come over And you said that. How many, what, what do you, what did you recommend for that? I could, I would, I think you could do, well, depending how often you post, if you're posting gotcha. every day on Facebook, like five days a week, you could definitely get away with like three of those, maybe even four of those being asked to sign up for your newsletter. Mm -hmm. But remember, they have to be interesting. They can't be signed up for our newsletter, signed up for our newsletter because <laughs> nobody wants right. a newsletter. We want yeah. stories. We want impact. We want outcomes. We want to be inspired. We want to read things. We, we want to learn about a cause that we care about. It doesn't always have to be stories either. Stories are the best way to communicate. But if I care about your cause, I'm thinking of the emails I get from like Planned Parenthood. They're often not stories. They're often just, you know, legislation and advocacy actions and things going on, keeping me informed. And I appreciate being informed. I don't have time to read all the news every day and all the alerts and everything I get. I, I appreciate being informed. So if your organization is in the business of informing and educating, that's a huge hook for people. Another way is really to use these tools, use the fundraising functions built into these tools. Now, that's another whole tangent I could go off on for about an hour, probably. But the thing with these tools is that they're the icing on the cake. They are not the cake. So you're still going to have your donate form on your website. You're still going to have your direct mail. You're still going to have your email appeals. All of this is going to be working together. Facebook fundraising is not going to replace what you're already doing. That's so. That was the, my exact next question yeah. was about Facebook fundraising and, and the GoFundMe. And, you know, is that... I feel like I see people every time they post, they put a little fundraiser with it, you know, and I, I, yep. I I'm not, that's just a question I have because I, what my concern is that now you're just going to look like you're in panic mode all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you know, like, like, so, and so I'm not saying don't do it for like, from my perspective, like, what is your advice for, you know, how, how to use the, the FB fundraisers to, you mm -hmm. know, to maximize that. So there's two ways. One is if your cause is in the news, absolutely put a donate button. So I remember I worked with um, the Rainforest Foundation when the rainforests are still burning. But do you remember when there was this, all this news coverage around the rainforest yeah. burning? I think it was last year. So we have the many because there was so many crazy things that happened last year. Like, oh, oh it, remember, like Australia caught on fire and yes. then there was a pandemic and then yep. rainfall, like, like, yeah, one of the. One of the 30,000 crazy. One of the 30,000 things destructive about things that happened. Yeah. Oh, I know. So what we decided, we said, you know, people are talking about it. They're searching for it. They were being interviewed in the news. Their social media following was exploding. And I said, you know what? Okay. Just put a donate button on every post because you got to capitalize on it while you can. You're not going to do it forever. Right. But for most of us, we're not in the news. We're not in the national news every day. We're not, it's not a cause that is something people are searching for and talking about every single day. So 
For those types of cases, you have to have a specific reason to ask. So maybe it's membership month in May, or maybe it's Giving Tuesday. Maybe it's, you know, you're running a campaign for two weeks to raise a specific amount of money. So the what works on Facebook is if you have a goal, if you say we're raising $10,000 to build a playground in the next four weeks. And this, you know, and then you can provide updates and, and give campaign updates and progress and milestones and things like that. That's what works really well on social media. Open-ended asks for general operating support, unless you are in the news, because that's the caveat, because I know people do that. I mean, the unless you have a celebrity, you know, asking for money for you, the open-ended ask doesn't really work. This is another whole mindset shift. <laughs> that I think nonprofits have to go through, we actually have to be more specific and clear and concise when we're raising money on social media in order to stop the scroll, in order to get me to press the donate button. Yeah, because social media, it's such a competitive space for your attention. That's true. That's true. I also think that using social media for like lead generation, quote unquote, to build your email list can work really well. So if you have something like a downloadable map, like I'm working with an organization, they have trail maps, they have a trail guide, you know, so focusing on if you have, if you have a guide, if you have anything people can download, if you have resource, a toolkit, um, curriculum, anything that people would want, any kind of lead magnet. I'm just working with a client like on this for right now, you know, like uh, as a pop-up window on their website and link on a social media, hey, get our guide. They work with families to to select childcare and they they work on the professional development of childcare providers, childcare professionals. And and it's like, okay, so you could have like, your, you know, top 10 things to look for when, yeah. you know, selecting childcare and yeah. you create this little thing and then you can you know, all you need is a couple of those and they're not, Mm -hmm. it's not expensive or crazy technology. It's just finding that thing of value, right? Cause like I teach influence, you have to be of value to others if they're going to be of value to you. Yes. And I feel like nonprofits, the thing is they don't see where they're of value to others or what they have, their expertise that they have. So I would love to hear if you have any other examples of like posts or stories of you know, of, of demonstrating this idea of like how you can add value for others to your posts. Right. Really, it goes back to understanding your audience and understanding the type of person you're trying to attract. What do they care about and what do they want to learn more about? Like, where are their knowledge gaps? Where can you fill those knowledge gaps? What makes you unique? What is your, you know, unique value proposition? Such a marketing term, but what makes you unique in the space? What makes you you? And why do people search you out and come to you? So, you know, another example is uh, a little community theater where I live. They publish like a community events guide every month, and we we live in I live in a town of four thousand people. It's really small, so. So not much going on, but sometimes a store is having a sale or there's a fundraiser, you know, the PTO is doing something. So they publish that little guide and they get a lot of emails and then, you know, they market their, uh, well, when we can go back to theater, Mark, and they have a childcare program that they're marketing as well. And, you know, a, a lot of the environmental organizations I work with, they all have 
step-by-step guide to reducing plastic or, right. you know, that kind of thing, that something that it, it has to be a question your audience is asking, and it has to be a problem that you're solving for them. So it can't be something, oh, I think this is great. I think my audience would want this. Well, and you, you definitely know this, Marianne, as an online marketer, sometimes we have awesome ideas and we're like, oh, this is going to be so great. My audience is going to love it. And then something else takes off. And that, uh, that thing that you thought was going to be so great, totally falls flat or doesn't get as many signups as you thought. So really paying attention to what are the posts that get a lot of traction? What are your most visited pages on your website? What questions are people asking you in your email? Um, asking you on the phone and zoom calls, maybe at events, if you're having events again, just really thinking like a detective and thinking like a journalist, and that's going to help inform your social media because it social media can't live by itself. It, It really can't live in a vacuum. You have to have email. You have to have a website, like for your, your whole digital ecosystem needs to be consistent and working together, but social media should really always be not always, not every post, but driving people to learn more about you and build that deeper connection with you. Right. Cause you said the, one of the first things you said is this, this is the top of the funnel, right? For a lot of us. Yeah. And even people that have been on your Facebook page for 10 years, they probably still don't know what you do. If they're not on your email list, if they're not a donor, they're probably still at the top of the funnel. So it's getting those people like into the funnel more and everyone's going to be at a different stage, but simplifying, focusing on the problem, focusing on the why sharing great stories and great visuals. We just can't get away from that. And then once in a while, that 20% of the time activating people, trying to get them to sign a petition or download a white paper or make a donation, come to an event, all of that. Yeah. Because Facebook, one of the first things you said, and I, you know, and all social media platforms, I mean, they can change those algorithms at any time, any right? time. Any and they time. do, mm-hmm. and, the, and they do. And so, and I, and that's what we call unreliable reach. Like, I don't know, right? and, but then your email list, that's, that's reliable reach. That's, that's, that's bringing people into like what I call the garden, you know, like the, 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 this garden that you're growing and it's so much easier to then connect with them. Yeah. So you, is that the goal is to get people from social media on, like you feel like that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to make them to donors is getting them on the email list. And that exactly. email list is that that's when you start asking more, you know, cause they've, they've, I self-identified as interested and want to learn more. Really? That's the strategy I try to teach, especially for small nonprofits. I mean, if you have an ad budget, if you have you know, a department and a few more resources, you can be doing things like, you know, more video, more live video, and then really retargeting video views into ads, which will then maybe go to a donation or go to your membership or go to your email list. But having that strategy to constantly, constantly trying to entice people to make a deeper connection with you, because while we can add the donate button on Facebook, you're right. It's not ever going to be as compelling as email. I mean, the statistics always show reach on social media. Organic reach is like 3% if you're lucky. And the a- average open rate, even a low open rate for nonprofits is 15%. So 
So right. you've got to really think about how many people you're, you're reaching. Yes. So constantly having a, you know, having a real strategy to build that know, like, and trust factor, and then be able to mobilize that community on Facebook to take a deeper action. The other thing that nonprofits do that's really successful is get other people to fundraise for them. So start birthday fundraisers, add the donation sticker on Instagram, you know, add, um, you know, have a Facebook fundraiser for a milestone for in lieu of baby shower gifts or whatever it is. So I've seen that be really successful fundraising from organizations. Like if a page does a fundraiser, that does not drive the majority of fundraising on Facebook. The majority of fundraising is driven from individuals starting fundraisers for the causes that they care about. So if you have ambassadors or board members or staff or volunteers or your any of your donors, anyone that would start a fundraiser for you, that's going to be really the best way to go about it. It's going to be more effective than if you just constantly are asking right. for money. So, okay. So my next question is, I feel like we've been not purposefully, but talking a little bit about Facebook. Yeah. Like, so there's so many like Twitter, right. TikTok, and then there's now there's Clubhouse. Like, ah, yep. you know, like there's and Marco Polo has a new thing called channels that's that they're, you know, all, like there's all this stuff. Oh yeah. So, and Twitter like, is spaces now and Facebook is coming out with something. Right. And so Facebook you, has to just compete with everybody. It's like, right. oh, Clubhouse is popular. So TikTok's how do you popular. decide where to go? Like, how do okay. you decide where to spend your energy? Yes. First, you need to do an audit of your time. So you need to realistically see how much time you can dedicate to the work of social media. And the work of social media involves, of course, planning and research. So understanding the platforms, knowing what works, what doesn't work, kind of getting a feel for the kind of content that's going to really get a lot of reach. Then content creation is sort of part two of um, social media management. So we've got planning and research. Part two is content creation. That's creating the graphics, creating the videos, writing, copywriting, copy editing. Part three is community management, answering questions, you know, tagging people, being involved in the comments section, depending, you know, retweeting, depending where you are. And then number four is measurement and analysis. So those are the the four pieces, planning. Mm-hmm. Wait, what is it? Okay, planning and research. research. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I teach it so often, I didn't write it down. Um, <laughs> content creation, community management, and measurement and analysis. Now, how much time do you have to dedicate to those four pieces? If you have an hour a week, yeah, you're only on Facebook and you're probably okay. not gonna do it that well, to be totally honest. So- we have to really tamper down our expectations. If it's just shoehorned in with all of your other responsibilities, something else has to come off your plate. So a good framework to use when thinking about where should you be is number one, what is your nonprofit goal for the year? What is your marketing goal? How does it fit in with your organizational priorities? You know, and then number two, who is your audience? So a great example is I work with Boston Public Schools a lot on their public awareness campaigns. And we got a grant from a foundation and the foundation, they want to target seniors in high school to complete the FAFSA, the the, um, financial aid, federal financial aid form. And they said we could only be on Facebook and Instagram. 
And I said, I don't think we're going to reach seniors in high school on Facebook. Uh, we might reach their guidance counselors and their parents and the partners and the nonprofits, but I really don't think we're going to be reaching seniors in high school at Facebook. So really think about your audience. Where are they? If you're, if you want to reach young professionals in Gen Z, you are going to have to be on TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram. It's going to have to happen, right? You can't mm-hmm. focus all your time on Facebook um, or on Twitter. So really figuring out your goal, your audience, and then exact, you know, which platforms are going to help you reach that audience and accomplish your goal. So just being more strategic, not getting on platforms because everybody's on there, not being on Twitter because your board member said, oh, well, such and such is on Twitter. So we have to be on Twitter. And a strategy that I use with, I mean, with a lot of my clients is they, they get so overwhelmed with so many people telling them they need to be on the platforms. I just say, well, look at what you're doing right now. And if your boss comes to you and says, well, we need to be on Clubhouse, then you say, okay, what is going off my plate? Like something has to go off my plate. So I'm happy to explore Clubhouse and look at it. And it could be a potential fantastic place for us. But that means Twitter might have to go silent for a month while I do that. So really being focused and strategic on your goals, your audience, and where you feel like you can create the most impact. Wow. That's amazing. Love the recommendation. Okay. What comes off my plate then? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you got to advocate for yourself. Advocate for yourself. It is advocate for yourself and speak, speak the truth. You know, I, um, another, just to throw another person out there that I'm obsessed with Rachel Rogers. I don't know if you listen to her, Marianne, she has a podcast called hello seven. So her goal is to teach every woman that she needs to be a millionaire. I don't really expect to be a millionaire, but I'm listening to her podcast, but she talks a lot about advocacy and delegation and really creating boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of that work that she does really helpful. That's so what I, in my, in my influence, I'll put her course. in the chat. Cause she's, yeah. she's absolutely phenomenal. Yay. Hello seven.co. Yes. Thank she you. Is phenomenal. Elise that's on with me today and she, and there's a couple other people who they are in my influence clay took my influence course. And that's one of the first things I teach is like raising your standards and creating boundaries to to hold those standards and, and, you know, how you create those healthy bound. And that's an example of it, you know, of like, okay, yeah, let's have that conversation, like holding your ground and standing in, in your power around that okay, if this is what you want, then here's the, you know, it's like, it's if then, if this is what you want, then this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And I'm okay. Oh, if with then, either I love one. that. You know, I'm okay with either one. It's just, we have to decide where we want our energy to go because what happens is it's like, you just pile on, pile on, pile on, and then nothing gets done very well. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have to account for that. We yeah. Have- and the cognitive switching. And I think what happens is people don't the supervisors, do not understand the work of social media. They still don't. They're like, you can hire an intern, post about your lunch, call it a day. They don't understand the four <laughs> phases, yes. but it's a lot of planning and research. It's a measurement and analysis. It's like, it's a thing. Like they just don't, I think still to this day, a lot of people do not understand that it is actually a skill and it can't just be kind of tacked on at the end of the day. And it can't be delegated to your 17 year old niece. As much as I bet she's amazing. It just can't be. (laughs) She makes some really good TikTok videos. (laughs) She can show you how to use TikTok, but she doesn't see it from the nonprofit lens. Like she's going to see it from her lens. Yes. All right. So we have some great questions. I I know we have so many. I was like, I'm thinking like, oh, I'll give you more time. You know, like, oh, let's 
I just want to get to the question. Let's dive in. Yeah, let's dive in. My biggest question is how to get more people to use other platforms besides Facebook for donations. So I'm guessing they're on other platforms and they want to use that to get donations. So what do you think of that? Well, I think the principles still apply. You have to have a compelling case. So what are you raising money for? Why is it interesting? Why is it urgent? Why is it relevant and timely? And specifically, what do you need me to do? Now on social media, it's very tempting to say support our organization. But what works better is if you can say, give $5 today to help. I'm just thinking of this post I just saw this morning, Fiesta have her operation, Fist is a dog, um, best friends, animal society. So then you can put a link to your website, your donation page, make it mobile friendly, please. Like don't send me to a donation page on your website that I have to pinch and scroll. And it's not, doesn't look good on my That's phone. Huge. That's huge. Cause you really huge. have to think about the way the behaviors of your donors People use social media predominantly from mobile apps. Right. So if you're sending people to your website, first of all, don't send me to your homepage because I will never find anything. Send me to your donation page better yet. Send me to like, you know, I don't want to like name platforms, but send me to a mobile optimized fundraising platform that I can then easily make a donation. Another thing you can do that I've seen work on Instagram, I haven't seen US charities do this a lot, but UK charities do is text to give. So they'll put an Instagram post out there and they'll say, you know, text 3377 to donate $10 to the Red Cross, whatever it is. And they'll have a graphic because once again, people are on their phones. Opening up a text window is so much easier than going to your website, filling out a form, my address, my credit card number. I never know where my purse is. Like 90% of the time, (laughs) I don't know where my purse is. If I can't pay with like PayPal or something else, I am... I, there's no way I would ever enter my credit card into my phone. I, I don't think that I would. So you just have to make it I have my number super easy. People which is do, a whole nother set do, of circumstances. Right? But I, I just don't see it. I don't see a circumstance where I'd find my credit card and enter it into my phone. I'll Google pay, Apple pay, all that stuff. All, all that stuff. Just make it, make, make it, it super, 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 super easy simple. to do from a phone. I think would be my one major takeaway. Uh, yeah, from so all it's of this not today. so much the platform, but it's just the ease of use, no matter what platform you're on. Yeah, the ease of Okay, ease. here's, thank you, Darcia, for that question. Here's another question from director. Um, please share ideas about the use of hashtags on a Facebook versus Instagram. Well, Instagram, see, this is a great question, actually, because it shows my point about how each platform is its own different country with its different rules and etiquette and language. And on Facebook, hashtags look weird. Okay, so... Facebook keeps trying to push the hashtag thing. I use hashtags occasionally on my page, but never on a personal post because that would just look, it just looks weird and it feels weird because we're not used to it. But on Instagram, you could put 30 hashtags at the bottom of your caption and no one would blink an eye because that's just what happens on Instagram. I also think that people are looking on Instagram, they're following hashtags. Like I follow, hashtags, which means if I follow the hashtag fundraising, which is, you know, a pretty big, broad hashtag, I will see the top posts that use that hashtag, even if I don't follow the individual account. So that's great for conferences. That's great for, if you just want to see pictures of like daffodils, I know my mom, I 
I showed my mom how to use Instagram and follow hashtags. And she's like big into flowers. (laughs) So (laughs) she just follows hashtag daffodils, hashtag sunflowers, but you get exposed to so many different people that you wouldn't necessarily even know to follow. I think that might've been how I found Rachel Rogers, to be honest. I was following like female entrepreneur, a bunch of different hashtags and it's discovery. So that's the point of hashtags. It's about being discovered and it's about filtering out everything else on the platform until you see and find what you want. So hashtags, it's hard to rank for something like fundraising or hashtag selfie or the big, big, big ones. So if you can get very specific, that tends to work better. And if you're a local organization, always, always put your hashtag of your town. I mean, well, if you're a brick and mortar, if you're like a museum, a library, um, a historical site, if you want people to know where you are, always put like hashtag, I live in Wenham, Wenham Mass, hashtag Salem, hashtag Boston, hashtag, you know, so people can find you because people do search on those kinds of hashtags. So hashtags seem like a very concrete way of when we talk about attracting like-minded people. Yes. That is the physical manifestation of this concept, right? Using the hashtag so that you're calling forward the people who are thinking like you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. 100% because you're going to be exposed to new people. You are just like you said, attracting the right kind of person who's interested in your cause, in your issue, in the problem that you're solving. And what I'm hearing is Facebook. So his question, Facebook versus Instagram, it's like Facebook's really not using them in that same way. I don't think I, the users use them. Yeah. I've never way. been on Facebook and like searched a hashtag. No, ne- no, neither have I. Maybe LinkedIn, but nah, I don't know. Uh, Twitter, certainly. Yes, absolutely. Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the origination of the hashtag was Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. And then Instagram are the two that people, I think, actively use them to find things. All right. Excellent. Okay. Now we have... Um, is this fun? Are you? Yeah. Like, oh, I love it. Oh my God. Like, I love like, it. Woo. Let's just throw some stuff at you. What about the issues that come with social media, like Facebook suddenly randomly oh, yeah. locking pages? How can we insulate ourselves from losing our audience? What we work to build. This is huge. I like, I had a colleague and his wife had a business page and she got locked out and like, and no one on Facebook ever answers like phone. Oh, There's no. nobody you can go to for help. It nope. just it happens to you. Like you said, they don't, they don't really care about us. No. No. And I said that that's why I started uh, yeah. most presentations. <laughs> it's like, they don't care about you. <laughs> really? I, it's, it's sad to say we were all sold a bill of goods, right? We were all sold the snake oil in the beginning. Here's this great free platform. It's going to connect the world. We're going to be able to reach all of our donors and all of our supporters from all over the place, 24 hours a day. It's totally free, which is always suspect, always suspect things that are totally free. And they really sold us and we built our audiences and then they kept changing the algorithm, kept changing the algorithm. And the other issue that is always at the forefront of my mind are the ethical implications of using these platforms, right? They're incredibly slow to take off hate speech. They finally banned like QAnon and Alex Jones, and they're trying to actively ban things like the Proud Boys and blatant white supremacy. But it proliferates on these platforms. We have, we have to really understand that. So taking some time and maybe really doing an audit and doing a, like an ethics audit for your organization and seeing, is this the right platform 
for us, considering they have complete keys to the kingdom, can yank the rug out from us at any time. And the serious, like free speech, not even necessarily free speech, but the implications of just having this platform where hate speech does tend to proliferate and it's, they're not as fast as they probably should be to kind of put a lid on it. This is the, this is going to be, if it's not right now, the biggest conversation that nonprofits need to have with their digital communications, because Google is not any better, you know? So, and we all rely on Google a heck of a lot. I mean, everything in my life is Google. So I don't have the answer to that, but I do think these are conversations we need to have. We need to be reading about it. We need to be paying attention to it. We need to be watching the congressional hearings. But the reality is that they do not, they don't exist for nonprofits. They exist for their shareholders. And I feel like, you know, how can we insulate ourselves from losing our audience? Like (sighs) the only way to do that is to get them off there and on to constantly be getting them off, getting them off and And then diversifying the platforms you're on too. So maybe not just being on Facebook, trying to be on Instagram or TikTok or trying to really diversify the places where you have a presence, but right. and or and YouTube, it's like so the, frustrating. It is so frustrating. Yeah. Also, like, having like multiple admins can work too. So, just make sure you don't have one admin on your page because if that person gets blocked or if they leave, so try to have like at least five admins on your Facebook page. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So they don't have to have like full privileges, but definitely have a group of people because if you just have one, it's linked to one person that's you're much more likely to um if that person gets blocked or something happens yeah you don't and have any you know recourse. we haven't talked a lot about youtube but youtube the thing about youtube is it's all it's a search engine and a social media platform and yeah. but also yes. it has subscribers so in a way like it's sort of a hybrid of that because you yeah. can subscribe but and also though it's the same thing like you know what jay bear says you're building your house on rented land <sighs> yep you know, and, yep. and you, you want to build your house on the land that you own and eventually. And I, and I honestly don't know a way that you can insulate yourself from that other than moving people away. All right, let's go to Janine's question. If you are short staffed and can't reply to social media questions often, is it better to have fewer posts that you can answer or post more frequently and, and ignore inquiries? Wow. That's Janine. I know you love me. You might not like me after I say this. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you should be on social media if you can't reply to questions. Just full stop. I don't like I I had a mayor recently who will not be not, not the mayor from my town. <laughs> was it? It really we don't even Just have to mayors. be clear. Right. We have like selectmen. It's a whole thing. But anyway, it was a mayor from a town who messaged me and said he wanted to get on social media. And I said, oh, great. Like, that's so exciting. I can't believe you're not on there already. He's like, yeah, but I want to um, block all comments and questions, not have direct messaging and not let anyone tag me. And I was like, well, you want a blog like that. (laughs) I don't think you want social media. I want to be on social media without any interaction. Yeah. So I have a lot of information on my website about how to create a policy that will help you work through these questions. If you're afraid of negative comments, You have to have a policy in place to address them. But I really think, I mean, if you're getting a lot of questions, maybe having a link to an article so you could just easily go in and be like, oh, more information here, link to the article. So you don't have to write that response every time. Like I know for me, there's like 10 questions I get 
every day. And I have kind of canned responses to them. Usually it's, how can I contact Facebook? Because they're not responding to me. I'm like, oh man, I wish I knew. But have those canned responses so that you can easily just kind of cut and paste or have links to stuff on your website. But I mean, if you're going to open this can of worms, you have to have a way to do the back and forth because it is supposed to be a conversation. It's not, it's the same with your email newsletter. You know, unfortunately, or fortunately, if you get a huge response, you probably, you know, you might take a week, but you do have to respond. It's that's ha- how you build donors, right? That's a happy problem. No like that's, and trust. that's what you want. You want that. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, that's the goal is to get that engagement, right? That's and I love it. If you've got too many comments and questions, it sounds like happy problems. Unless they're mean questions. It sounds like a good problem right. to have. We have a ton of questions and okay. not a ton of time. We're, so we're not going to get let, through them all. We will. We'll, I, I have. Faith. Okay. Well, what right. I, the other thing I would say is take an hour, hour a week, at least, and just go through, go through, go through hour, okay. hour, you know? Yeah. Because you got to, you got to knock get them out questions. All right. Do you recommend surveying your social media audience to learn more about them? If so, what's the best way to do this? Oh, I love that question. And absolutely. So you could do a quick little poll and an Instagram story. You could do a poll on Twitter, a poll on Facebook, or you could use something like SurveyMonkey that's totally free. The key here is there has to be that incentive. So you have to say something like, let us create even better content for you, or we want to know what you want to hear more about, or just make it all about make it all incentive about them. for them. Yeah. All right. You mentioned one hour per week equal for Facebook only. How much time should we be spending on this altogether? It so, um, well, it depends on your goal. So if you're, if you come to me and say, we want to raise $25,000 on giving Tuesday, well, you're going to have to spend a lot more than an hour a week, probably trying to do that, depending on how, what other channels you're using, depending right. on a lot of things, but I never give a time because all of this takes us like some of, some of you, it could take you two seconds to whip up an Instagram post. For some of you, it could take five minutes, right? Five to 10 minutes. So you have to just divide your time between the four phases, the planning and research, content creation, community management, and measurement and analysis. So look at those four phases. Some of you might take a lot of time in community management. Some of you might take a lot of time in content creation, but those are the four those are like the four phases of successful man- successfully managing a platform. And once you can do that with one, then you can move to the next. So what I don't want you to do is be constantly just throwing stuff up to see what sticks or posting for a week and then ghosting or throwing up an Instagram page for an event that's only once a year and then not posting for the rest of the year. So like pick one, love it, develop yeah. your four phases. Like, and even in the last question around, you know, the, you know, answering questions and responsive, that's community management. Yes. And so, so you want to get through all those four, four phases, like on develop on one and then go to another instead of like showing up on Twitter, like twice a year. Exactly. Right? Okay. And for some organizations, community management might be the majority of your time. For other organizations, creating content might be. Right. Or even planning and research might be if you're a brand new person to this. Right. So ideally, you would probably have a part-time person managing all of your social media channels. If you're really committed to building that funnel and to, to building these relationships with your donors, 
but uh, you know, I never give a time because some people have full-time staff um, and some people have an intern doing it. Right. So not look at the hours. time you have and then fit it into the time that you have. It's not about hours. It's about outcomes. I say that's that all true. the time because that's how I work. I don't, I don't do hourly work. I work on outcomes. Yes, so exactly. it's about the outcomes. And, exactly. and what I'm hearing is like, pick one, you know, find the best one for you. Love it. Devote to it. Build those four stages and then pull in the next one. And then yes. the next one. Yeah. Um, walk, run. I, yeah. Walk, what is it? Walk, crawl. No, crawl, walk, run. Yeah. All right. Okay. Regarding posting frequency, given that what we post is of interest, how often is too much, too little? Don't people get tired of all the posts and just tune out an organization or just stop seeing our posts? They don't see it. They don't see, they see one, 2% of what you post. I get this question all the time. And I say, you know what? They do not see every day that you've posted. If they do, I, I don't know who they are, or they probably follow like one person. <laughs> Really, they don't. So we're not annoying them. We're, in fact, we're probably not posting enough. No. So each channel is very, very different. But, you know, Twitter, you could post 10 times a day on Twitter. Not the same thing, but that would be totally normal. Instagram stories, you could do 10 stories a day. That'd be fine. One story a day. But in the Instagram news feed, you know, probably once a day, maybe three times a week is best. So it really goes back to understanding the platform, understanding your audience. Do you see engagement drop if you post a couple of times a day on Facebook or, cause I do, I know that I did. So I only post once a day on my Facebook page. Cause what I was seeing, I don't know if it was an algorithm thing or what was going on. If I posted twice a day, I would get half the engagement. So I rather would just go post full in on one post. Yeah. So you, this goes back to the measurement and analysis piece where you have to look at what you're doing and see like, does posting more increase engagement or does posting more decrease it really see the trends over about a month, but you are not annoying people. If you're posting things they want to see and that are valuable to them, you are not annoying them. So this SSF put in the chat question about too many posts is a fallacy, just like too many emails. And that is a fallacy. Donor fatigue isn't what you think it is because we pull out the, um, like we don't want to burden people. And it's, it's this underlying thing. Cause I'm all, you know me, I'm all about the underlying mindset. Like, what does that mean? Like, we're afraid to be seen. We don't want to offend people. Like, and we're, you're, you aren't, and you're not. And yeah, the reach is like 1%, 2%. So even if you're posting a lot, most people aren't seeing them. And so it's okay. And think about the promotional emails you get. I get promotional emails from certain companies every day, every day. Just, you know, yeah. or certain blogs that I follow. Seth Godin is a great example every yeah. day. So if it's worth it to me, I'll stay subscribed. I'll stay engaged. But we are we are used to that. We want to hear from things that we're interested in, causes that we care yeah. about. Like I said, you'll, you get emails every day that you'll open because you like, I get notes from the universe. I read that every day, you know, because I love notes from the universe. And like, so if it's good content, you can, you'll, you'll read it all the time. So that's, it is like, so are, is it a value to the people? If it is, then they're going to want to open it or read the post. Yeah. Okay. We have a couple more questions, but first I want to say that Yay. Julia is giving us presents every speaker today as a free gift. And so Carissa, if you can put that link in the chat for Julia is going to have to do multiple eBooks, the nonprofit guide to social media ambassadors, how to build your nonprofit email list, 
using your website and social media. That just speaks to me so deeply. <laughs> Storytelling in the Digital Age and the Nonprofit Strategy Workbook. What? That is incredible. That's for Julius. And so let's just knock out a couple more of these questions in the time sure. that we have. We have a new Facebook page for a nonprofit. So starting from scratch to find followers, do boost mm. posts actually work? Finding followers, look at your low hanging fruit first, invite everyone, you know, your board, your staff, your volunteers, your email list, boosting posts. I don't usually recommend boosting a post. I recommend creating a standalone Facebook ad, but trying to get followers that way, I don't think works anymore. You know, Facebook ads are now best used for getting people over to your website, getting them to download something, maybe promoting an event, but Boosting posts seems to me, it's just another, like, I'm not a Facebook ads expert, but all the experts I've talked to say, it's just making Mark Zuckerberg, making Mark Zuckerberg richer. (laughs) You don't want to do that. You said we have almost 300 likes so far for a new post, but wondering how legit that really is. I mean, I'm wondering if he got that from the boosted post or not. For me, it all goes back to finding those like-minded people. Exactly. Because you, you can purchase Facebook fans and followers, mm-hmm. but why would you want to? Cause they'll never turn into donors because they're not real people. Right. <laughs> so these vanity <laughs> metrics, I mean, yes. it doesn't matter. You could, you know, I've seen nonprofits raise thousands of dollars with an email list of, of 2000 people. Like the numbers don't really matter. It's the engagement and the interest of your audience. Yeah. So what about QR codes? Um, I use QR codes at restaurants to look at the menu. <laughs> Me too. I don't really, I don't know if I've ever used one other I, than I, that. I was like, oh, finally a good use for a QR code for the pandemic. Yeah, no, I, I know. I was, I was wondering when those were going to actually before. be practical. Yeah. Maybe on a business card, yeah. I could see a QR code, but do business cards work anymore? I, if you're I, on yeah. the phone, if just, you're on social media. I don't see on your phone. So just send me where you want to send And when you put them on a business card, it has to take up so much real estate that you could just put actual information. That's just me. I'm not two more, two more quick questions. What type of content would you recommend nonprofits create for TikTok? If you (gasps) meant a face for the platform to reach a new younger audience. So like a younger person, that's a great question. Watch a lot of TikToks, definitely get someone that you, that wants to be the face of it to show you how to use it in the beginning. TikTok has to be 100% value add, value 100%. Like get, tell me something I don't know, be surprising, be interesting, be provocative, share statistics. It cannot be come to our event, sign up for our email newsletter. That is, does not work on TikTok, but watch a lot of TikToks before you'd even dive in. So get the app, follow a lot of nonprofits and watch what they do. And you'll start seeing what's working and and the kind of thing you have to create. It's a lot easier than you think. It's a big learning curve, but it is a lot easier than you think. And you can grow a following on TikTok incredibly quickly. So there you go. So my friend Christina said, we create a QR code for events for our flyers. This way, when the businesses hang a flyer, people can jump to the event website. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's a physical... Thing. I thought they were talking about social media, but if it's a physical thing, sure. Yeah. All right. And then I hear Facebook is moving their insights in June. Any ideas on what this means and how we'll be able to track our audience? Oh, they're just changing up the platform. I don't know what they're doing. They're not calling it insights anymore. They're calling it analytics or something. I don't, they did like a rebrand. Some consultant told them to do that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Some, 
<laughs> you'll still be you able know? to figure it out, those, but it's going to be, of course, probably those crazy consultants. Really? Um, I know. All right. I'm you gonna just know this. someone told them to do that. You will still be able to, but all right, I don't know what it's going to We're like. out of time. I'm doing oh, one more question. That's a, but I think this is a good one. Are there any nonprofits with really good social media you'd recommend following for inspiration? I'm yes. sure they're all, they're all your clients, right? They are. Okay. So I'm not going to give you, I mean, obviously charity water is amazing, but I'm going to type these in the chat. Rosie's place. These are small organizations. So they're not doing super, super fancy stuff. Rosie's place. Um, I'm typing them in the chat. Plumber youth promise Amira incorporated. They're small. So be nice to them. But in terms of content and not flash, I think they are doing awesome, awesome, awesome. Plan, oh, the big ones, obviously. Planned Parenthood, Best Friends Animal Society, Charity Water, Pencils for Promise. They all do really fantastic stuff. And yeah. actually, oh, there's some. And so oh, Christine also goodness. said she did TikTok last year and have great response. They have almost 7,500 followers. She runs an organization called Dogs for Our Brave. They provide, hey. um, you know, assistance dogs for veterans. Oh, wow. So, um, so yeah. So I think there's, I feel like there's a lot of promise there. It is kind of a scary thing. If you've never done TikToks, so you probably want to watch. This has been awesome, Julia. Thank, Thank you. you. We could talk Remember, for hours. <laughs> Clarissa, will you drop the, the link in? I know, right. Drop the link into the, to the chat for Julia's gift. Because I want to make sure everybody gets these multiple ebooks that she's been offering. Oh, thank you, you can go to this link and download them all because obviously you have so much more insight and expertise to share. So this is where we can access it. This was fantastic. I just, you know, Thanks. I just appreciate you so much. I appreciate your perspective and, you know, like we become Facebook friends, yeah. you know, and you're just, you're, you're out there, you're doing the work. Thank you. Well, this was really, thanks for setting all this up. You are absolutely welcome. And it's been, it's been really fun. It was a great okay. audience. Thank you. I know. Thanks for the so many questions. We couldn't get to them all. So make sure you download the book and thank you, Julia. And this is such a great time. If you want to, every speaker is like, it's all fabulous. So you can pick up, don't forget, you can pick up the VIP attraction package. It's the $77 event price. You get a recording of all of this. So Julia, everyone else that I'm sharing today and all this other cool stuff, which is the biggest thing I've ever shared, my online superstar fundraising course. So you can go to theinfluentialnonprofit.com and you can get that. Thanks for listening to The Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dersh. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, check out theinfluentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.